Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is the Unplayable Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to recap Australia's seven-wicket win in Chittagong that squared the two-test series one-all, preview the limited overs series in India, and chat to new Western Australia captain Mitch Marsh. Here to break down all that and more is former News Limited chief cricket writer Malcolm Conn. Welcome back, Mal. Thank you, mate. Great to be back. Uh, are you still riding the high of the Tigers? We're not the Bangladesh Tigers, but the Richmond Tigers? Mate, how good was that? <laughs> outstanding performance. Uh, first time they'd beaten Geelong for about 10 years. First time they'd won a final since 2001. And uh, myself and most of the 95,000 others at the Melbourne Cricket Ground celebrated accordingly. Magnificent. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, well, let's uh, get into this Bangladesh review and we'll start with the second test. Uh, Bangladesh won the toss, selected a bat on what looked like a pretty good wicket in Chile. Gong Australia had made two changes from the first test loss in Dhaka. Josh Hazewood and Usman Khawaja out. Hilton Cartwright and Stephen O'Keefe in. Following on from his impressive performance in the first test, Nathan Lyon was the star for the Aussies with 7 for 94 as Bangladesh made 305. In reply, David Warner made it back-to-back hundreds with 123, while Peter Hanscom made a gutsy 82 and Steve Smith 58 for the Aussies to post 377 and a lead of 72. From there, Australia's bowls ran through the hosts, who were all out for 157. Lyon, again the main man with 6 for 60. Set 86 to win, Australia lost Warner, Renshaw and Smith before Glenn Maxwell ended the match in style with a 6. Uh, Mal, that was a pretty dominant reply after the Aussies' shock loss in Dhaka. Yes, and all credit to them. Uh, showed a lot of character. Um, there's certainly aspects they probably would have liked to have done better, but I thought overall it was a really strong performance, set up by some, uh, some good batting. Uh, never easy losing the toss and, and uh, having to bat last, so you have to set it up in your first innings. And 377 was probably unders, actually, after the way they played with Warner um, and Hanscom and Smith. Uh, but all credit to Davey Warner, a big question mark uh, over mm. him on uh, playing in the uh, subcontinent. And uh, he's gone back-to-back hundreds. Uh, and uh, that was his slowest hundred, 223. He uh, figured out that you can't uh, smack every mm. ball to the fence. You have to be patient. You have to uh, work the ball around, play with soft hands and, and pick the ball to attack. So um, he's certainly sorted that out and uh, was the backbone of Australia's victory. So good on him. He was one of two joint players of the series, Warner and Nathan Lyon. Lyon claimed 22 wickets in this series. He shattered records, most wickets by an Australian in two tests. I mean, there's a whole lot of them. Head to cricket.com.au, they're all there. Uh, but how good is, is, has he been in the past two series, not only Bangladesh, but India? It looks like he's really figured out just how to bowl in the subcontinent. Oh, it's been beautiful, hasn't it? Just watching him bowl, it's... Fascinating watching the spinners bowl, particularly on the subcontinent where the ball does a fair bit and it really does challenge the batsman in different ways. It's uh, it's foreign to us and uh, certainly foreign to our batsmen, but uh, Nathan Lyon, it's taken some time to adjust, um, but he's done it beautifully. It's a, it's a difficult craft to bowl off spin. It's pretty unforgiving. Uh, and uh, every time you go to uh, South Asia, you know that they've been brought up against spinners and they want to have a piece of you. So... Uh, 
to be able to play that well uh, in both innings, uh, coming off the back of some good performances in India, is, is a real credit to him. And uh, his figures are remarkable. They just keep creeping up, don't they? Unparalleled yeah. in Australian cricket history. Well, he's only got Shane Warne ahead of him now in terms of Australian spinners with test wickets. Um, Mal, he's only 30, I think. He's 30 this year. I mean, how many more years can we see Nathan Lyon in the test team? He could get to 500 wickets. Well... He's been playing now for about, uh, what, uh, five or six years? Yeah, 2011. Is 2011, yeah. yeah. So uh, 2011 tour of Sri Lanka that I covered when he got five on debut. And uh, uh, if you uh, string that out for another six years, he's 36 and it gives him about 550 approaching 600 test wickets. So you'd certainly think that uh, if he continues the way he's going, he's got beautiful flight and a good uh, drift on the ball, good rip and drift. Uh, that he could continue to perform. As I said, it's a difficult craft and you never know, but uh, what he's shown us recently, there's no reason why he can't continue. Particularly for a finger spinner, what were your first memories or what were your memories of, of Nathan Lyon when you first saw him in that first test? Well, it all happened instantaneously because he, he came in and bowled his first ball to uh, Kuma Sangakara, who's a reasonable cricketer. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> Sangakara pushed it one around about off stump and it uh, turned away and he nicked it. And Michael Clark took a fantastic diving catch at slip. And uh, he was one for none off one ball in his test career and away he went, got five for So from the very outset, he looked like he was at home. And uh, for a guy who probably didn't have a lot of confidence when he came in, he's a pretty understated guy publicly, but a, a good fellow to have around behind the scenes. Um, uh, it's been a tough journey for him at times, but uh, he's stuck at it. He's a man of great character. You have to be, I think, to, to bowl off spin and survive. So um, particularly in the modern age with big bats and uh, shorter yeah. wickets, uh, sh- sorry, shorter of, uh, boundaries. But uh, um, yeah, from the moment uh, we saw him, we thought, gee, this guy's got something about him. Sure enough, he's 260-odd wickets later. He's absolutely flying. Another really gutsy performance, as we mentioned before, was Peter Hanscom, 82 in that first innings. Uh, and he braved all the heat and the humidity uh, to grind out a very important score and a very important partnership with Dave Warner. Now, you've watched a lot of cricket. Uh, can you remember such a, a, a gutsy performance considering the very harsh conditions? Well, it's, it's rare. I mean, we do play in some pretty tough conditions, but uh, certainly that was particularly tough. And uh, it was great to see the headlines, the spirit of Dean Jones being revived from uh, Madras in 1986 when Dino made that legendary 210 and uh, uh, lost uh, an incredible amount of fluids and ended up on drips in hospital, not quite remembering what he'd done. But uh, certainly uh, reading what uh, Hanscom had done, he, uh, he'd lost something like four and a half kilograms from the match, which mm. is just incredible for, for uh, young, fit guys. Uh, so shows how hard you have to work and uh, all credit to him and all credit to the selectors for uh, not panicking and handing him the gloves because uh, mm. goodness knows how he would have gone if uh, he'd been forced to keep as well as, uh, as bad in those conditions. Just on the keep, what did you make of, of Matthew Wade? A bit of scrutiny in the first test on a very difficult wicket, a lot of buyers conceded, but he pulled off three stumpings. That's a record for Australia for 60-odd years, I think. Uh, uh, three stumpings in an innings by an Aussie keeper, or in a match by an Aussie keeper. He looked very um, accomplished in that second test. Probably still needs a few more runs, but in terms of glove work, looks like he's uh, well at home. Yeah, well, he did. He played well. There's no question about it. And... Uh, uh, very difficult to keep on those wickets. Um, certainly, I can remember uh, other tours to India and places in the subcontinent. The ball will sort of turn at right angles or shoot along the ground, and all of a sudden it's disappeared. And there's four more buys, and yep. so it's not unusual for anybody to let buys through in those conditions. And for him to be able to 
Uh, keep to a sort of a jumping, uh, sharply spinning ball when you're never quite sure what you're going to get and to, uh, to be very tidy in that second test and, and get a couple of good stumpings, as you said, um, was a, a significant improvement what I've seen previously. It's a, a bit of a, an irony, I suppose, that a guy who was picked for his batting um, excelled with his keeping but it still has runs to make. So he's still got questions to answer, but he's certainly uh, answered a few of them there with his keeping uh, in those conditions. Paddy Cummins, he's now played four consecutive test matches. He was the sole fast bowler in that second test match. And the good news out of that series is that he bowled very, very well and that he is coming through it unscathed. Mal, how important is he going to be in the Ashes? Uh, it looks like he'll probably partner another couple of New South Wales players in Mitchell Stark and Josh Hayeswood pending fitness. Um, what a trio that will be and what a strike bowler he's turned into. Oh, he's always been exciting, Paddy. When the... The moments we've had to uh, been able to watch him over the years uh, between his unfortunate sort of battles with, uh, with various long-term injuries just been fantastic. You'd always see he was a special talent. Uh, he's quick, he can move the ball and uh, he just stands batsman up to be able to uh, hurry batsmen and, and unsettle them with uh, bounce on wickets like that in the subcontinent, specifically tailored for spin, was uh, a mighty effort. So... I'm very excited to see how he's going to go at the Gabba in that first test match. Um, I think his raw pace alone and, and bounce with that high whippy action is going to cause a lot of problems for a pretty uncertain English batting lineup. And uh, Mitchell Stark also bowls sort of up into the 150s and Josh Hazelwood, Mr Reliable. It's, a, it's an imposing attack if they're all fit as they're expected to be. So very exciting times for Australian cricket. Uh, nothing more exciting than a, a fast bowler going flat out. So if Cummins gets stuck in, it could be anything. In terms of just the fast bowling battery Australia has available at the moment, if they're all fit, where does that fit in terms of, of, the, of the fast bowling uh, quartets or batteries that you've seen in your time? Is that right up there? Well, I guess they've got a bit, uh, collectively a bit to do together and I did see a fair bit of the West Indies sort of creating carnage across the world from the, the late 70s to the early 90s. So they were, they were absolutely awesome, those, those four fast bowlers. But uh, to have three high-quality fast bowlers uh, all going together... Uh, is a rare luxury. And, and it's actually interesting if you think about sort of uh, McDermott uh, and Hughes, um, they were a, a good fast bowling duo, but they actually didn't play all that much together because of injury. And if you, if you look at uh, probably the last exceptional trio we had in um, McGrath, Gillespie and Brett Lee, who were all yep. outstanding players, again, the three of them didn't play all that much together because of various injuries. So it can be hard to keep them all on the park, but if they get them all on the park and keep them there, they'll be... Uh, an exciting sight for any Australian and a, and a worrying sight for any POM. Yes, now they'll undoubtedly cause a lot of batting collapses in the future. Steve Smith's side has suffered a few of them themselves. Uh, uh, 15 and 14 games, the skipper said, after the second test. Uh, now, how do they stop that trend? Is it a mental thing? Is it a technical thing? Uh, I just think that um, blokes given the opportunity have got to start putting their hands up. I mean, we've seen... The batting lineup is understandably built around Warner and Smith. They were guys given opportunities, and, and it took um, Smith a little while to sort of settle in as from a fairly young age. But they're guys who really put their hands up and, and grasped the opportunity. Plenty of opportunities here for people to put their hands up. You'd think that Kawaja would come back at bat at three. Yep. It's interesting for a guy who's who was born in uh, Lahore that um, by far his greatest stink, strength is playing fast bowlers off the back foot. So he should be at home in Australia. It's disappointing that he hasn't done more work earlier in his career on playing spin bowling, and uh, he just doesn't have it. He doesn't trust his technique. He just doesn't trust the way he plays spinners, and you can tell by the way he played in that test in uh, Bangladesh that um, unfortunately. Uh, he wasn't really tuned into the, the situation, but uh, I think at home on Australian wickets, he's a very fine player. Um, 
and he should continue to make an impact. Um, Maxwell's been given an opportunity. It'll be interesting to see whether they stick with him or Cartwright, who's another young player who had a, a big shield season. But uh, there are opportunities there. People put their hand up, they'll take them. Hanscom certainly did yep. that. He was given an opportunity. He took it. He's now a regular part of that middle order. So um, it's up to people to put their hands up. And when you do... Uh, they, they perform and you don't have those terrible batting collapses. And that, I guess, goes back to uh, Wade's batting too, doesn't it? When you're batting at seven, yep. if you lose a couple, you need the wicketkeeper to stand up and, and be a bit of a ball walk, and he hasn't done that either. So um, certainly opportunities and questions. Right, and we've got to, we're focusing a lot here on Australia. And uh, even though that was a, the series with one all, uh, Bangladesh taking that first test match in Dhaka, they're a much improved team, aren't they, Mel, especially at home? Yeah, at home, that's right. I'd still worry about them away. I don't think their fast bowling is sort of strong enough to make an impact on uh, places outside of Asia, but certainly at home on their wickets. Um, they grow up with them. Uh, some of their bowlers, I think, uh, are terrific. Um, put continued pressure on, and you do have to work hard for your runs. So, mind you, when Australia toured there in 2006, they almost lost the first test there as well. It was only a magnificent yep. uh, Gilchrist 100 after some early collapses that got them out of jail there and allowed them to get home so um, they are, they've always been a challenge at home and they certainly have improved uh, and uh, as we saw when they uh, went 1-1 with uh, England and also beat Sri Lanka yeah. for the first time so they've now won three tests against significant nations in a relatively short period of time so um, they're certainly uh, improving and uh, certainly going to be a challenge for anyone who plays them in Bangladesh. Absolutely. Adam Burnett at cricket.com.au writer, he compiled six questions ahead of the Bangladesh series. Let's see if any of those were answered. And we'll start with the first one. Uh, who will fill number three? Uh, it was Usman Khawaja in the first test. He got one and one. Uh, they dropped him and then Steve Smith moved up the order to bat at first drop. Uh, you talked about it before, about it being a very fine player of fast bowling, especially in home conditions. Is he a lock for that first test of the Gabba Mel? I would have thought so because I would have thought that um, you'd want to separate Smith and Warner. Um, yep. Kawaja has got a terrific record in Australia batting at three and I think he deserves the opportunity and I think that it makes the Australian batting lineup look better for it. If you've got Smith at four, Hanscom at five and then we've got a battle at this stage with Maxwell and Cartwright for six, uh, I think it's a, a much better batting lineup uh, and gives you more experience in, in steel in that middle order. So I'd certainly go that way in Australia. Second question was, is Ashton Agar ready for a test return? Well, he, he is because he, he played both games. Uh, uh, he took seven wickets at 23. He also scored a pretty valuable 41 not out in the first test. He got 22 in the second test. Mally, it looked like he looked pretty at home, to be fair. As Nathan Lyon's backup spinner, he looked right at home. Yeah, he's a well-organised cricketer and uh, clearly we saw from that uh, First Ashes tour he went on when he was picked out of the blue as a, as a teenager and made uh, 98 in, on debut, batting at number 11, that uh, he doesn't seem to feel pressure too much. No. He, he just sort of enjoys the, uh, the circumstances. And uh, I, I think that um, the selectors would be delighted with that for a young guy. Um, an experimental pick in some ways. I mean, you've got to give him an opportunity at some stage. And, and uh, certainly his bowling and his batting stood up. And I thought that uh, his 41 not out in that first test was absolutely pivotal. Australia got within 20 runs of winning that. And I thought that there was about four terrible brain explosions amongst some pretty good <laughs> batsmen in that lineup. Uh, and uh, he played well enough to give it, uh, make Australia competitive. So I, I thought that was pretty impressive all-round performance by him. What did you read into the Aussies drafting in Stephen O'Keefe for that second test? He's another left-arm spinner like Agar. You don't go over there to run the drinks. He played in that second test and he out-bowled uh, Agar in the second innings. Um, why do you think they went with two left-arm spinners and not play the leg spinner Swepson, who was already in the squad? 
I think they were looking for the control. They were looking to um, to try and put pressure on the Bangladeshi batsmen. Uh, when you're playing on the subcontinent, uh, you don't have to do a lot with the ball as a spinner. You'll get natural natural variation. It'll go up and down, or uh, it might go sideways. It might slide on. Um, you're never quite sure what you're going to get. So Steve uh, O'Keefe isn't a big turner of the ball, but he's very accurate, and it means that Steve Smith, as captain, can keep a handle on the game. Um, Tie up an end if he needs to. Know that there's always pressure on. Know that he's always going to bowl stump to stump. So if something's going to happen, uh, he'll get a wicket out of it. So um, it was a big call to fly him over there. I mean, he was he was very underdone. He hadn't he'd hardly yeah. played any cricket. Hadn't been taken to Darwin for that camp, and they they suddenly plucked him out of nowhere. So I think that um, in future the selectors thinking should think about having bigger training camps if they're going to do <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, any more plucking from obscurity. But um, I thought that Steve was unlucky not to go given his performance in India. Uh, it was probably the right decision. I mean, he certainly looked like he, um, particularly in that second innings when he had a bit of bowling under his belt, looked more likely to take a wicket than Josh Hosel would at any stage uh, mm. during the series. So I think it was the right call under the circumstances and uh, maybe it all could have been done a bit better to give him a bit more preparation. We're going to combine the next two. What happens if Steve Smith fails and Ken Warner and his Asian famine? Well, Steve Smith did have the greatest series, just the one half century. But uh, Warner certainly ended his Asian famine with those two hundreds. I guess, uh, as we've highlighted, that you need one of these two guys to step up if Australia going to have success at the moment anyway. Oh, well, you do. That's right. And that's what I was saying before about someone's going to put their hand up because they're the only two reliable sort of uh, experienced players in the lineup. Uh, Hanscom certainly shown that he's a, he's a fine player and has played some good innings. And Renshaw at the top of the order has done some good things as well. A very calm and, and settled player, although he... Um, Obviously, he struggled in the conditions uh, in uh, Bangladesh. Uh, but um, I tend to think that um, if Steve Smith and Warner don't stand up in the ashes, then we're not much chance, really. Well, how about some other batsmen? Maxwell, he's been the middle-order man for the last couple of series, the last four test matches. He produced scores of 23, 14, 38 and 25. Not out. He just didn't nail down his spot. Cartwright came in for that second test and he didn't grab his opportunity Either uh, we've got three rounds of Shepherd Shield cricket before the first test. Mal, is it going to be a bit of a shootout for that number six spot? Well, probably. Um, selectors obviously and, and um, team hierarchy obviously have like to have longer term plans, but I think in this case, when you've got three Shield games, you'd like to pick people in form. Yeah. Uh, Maxi still uh, looks unconvincing uh, at international level in the long form game. He's, he's such a talented player, and he. Got a good first class average. His batting average in first class cricket's around about forty. So he can clearly play. He just he doesn't look safe enough. I mean, I guess it's that different difficult mix of uh, being able to be a flamboyant player and play your shots, and yet be able to um, uh, make a significant score. And he hasn't been able to combine the two of those. Cartwright made a lot of runs in Shield cricket, uh, mid twenties. So um, he gets an opportunity, and uh, on weighted runs in Shield cricket, you'd say he deserves it. Uh, a bit of a mixed bag on his opportunity in, in uh, Bangladesh. Uh, but uh, if you're going to pick a guy, you've got to give him a bit of a chance. So my gut feeling is whoever they pick for that first test should play at least the first two unless they have uh, absolute shockers and probably the first three. And do you think maybe Cartwright has a slight edge considering his shield runs and that he's a medium pacer that they traditionally like to go in with an all-rounder who does bowl a bit of seam up? Yeah, perhaps. And certainly maybe in Brisbane... Um, that might be the case as well, but he's he's a very modest medium pacer. I mean, he's picked as a batsman who can bowl a few overs to give someone yeah. a rest, and 
And you prefer not to have to use him? I mean, you know, you might use him a bit sort of going into the new ball or if it's a long, hot day, you might sort of um, sort of stretch it out a bit, having a couple of overs in the tee or something just to sort of give it, it, the bowlers a bit of a, an elongated break. But uh, you're not going to win any test matches uh, giving Cartwright too many overs. So <laughs> you've just got to look at his batting, I think. All right, and the final question is, will the weather hold out? Well, the forecast was terrible. The tour match got washed out. It was predicted rain basically on every day of Test cricket. But we got through it, Mal. The weather, was, uh, the weather stayed away. Uh, yes, indeed. And uh, it is unusual at that time of year in that part of the world because I know of uh, the first two tours of Sri Lanka I did that uh, four of the first six tests I covered in those two series uh, were... Badly rain affected. There were right. only two matches that were actually uh, uh, not particularly badly damaged by weather. So yeah, that was uh, it was a stroke of luck apart from anything else. Although the Australians mightn't have thought so in the first test. <laughs> okay, up next we're going to hear from WA All Rounder Mitch Marsh. On the line is Mitchell Marsh from sunny Queensland. Mitch, what's doing up there? Cheers, mate. It's, uh, we're just up here for uh, Western Australia this week having a practice game. Uh, three practice games, actually, against New South Wales and Victoria. So, um, yeah, cricket's officially begun. It certainly has. Uh, now, you are the new Western Australia captain. You're taking over from Adam Voges, who retired last season. Did the call-up surprise you, Mitch? No, I wouldn't say it surprised me. I think um, you know, when Voges retired, there's um, a few of us that were, were candidates and um, obviously, they had the opportunity with uh, with Sean and Maxi Klinger, but um, and I think in the end, with the, with where our squad's at right now, it was probably either going to be Ashton Turner or I, and um, yeah, got the nod. Ashton's one of my best mates, and and hopefully, um, if I get you know an opportunity to represent Australia, he'll do a great job as captain. So um, yeah, I think it's a, it was a good decision. Now you wrote in the paper a wonderful column uh, that you were going to be your own man, but you've learned a lot from your time under Adam Voges and a lot of other previous captains like Steve Smith and Michael Clark. Uh, what, but what about in particular did you take away from, from Adam's leadership? Yeah, when I sat down and thought about it, I think um, just the person that Voges was around the group. Um, he's obviously extremely humble, um, worked extremely hard. He never gave up. Um, you know, one on you know trying to win a Sheffield Shield for the WA and two, Represent Australia, and I think just his, his courage, um, you know, the way he led from the front with the bat over you know the last five years has been unbelievable. So, just everything about him, and, and um, he was one of those captains that had a, a, an amazing ability to be, uh, you know, the captain and our leader, but still be one of the boys. And I think that's really important. Now, uh, are you going to be an attacking captain, a conservative captain, instinctive? What's your style going to be? Yeah, look, I think I'll always do attacking. Um, I think that's you know, the best way to play cricket and it's certainly the most entertaining. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll look to have an attacking mindset, um, you know, defend what I have to defend. But, you know, I want, um, you know, want my players to always play with freedom and to always back themselves. So, um, you know, I have full belief in the squad that, that I'm uh, in charge of. And what's it going to be like bossing your older brother Sean around? I can't imagine that will be... Uh... Well, I can imagine it'd be a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> yeah, I've got, he's, I've got a few years to get back on him, so I'm looking forward to that. Well, that's right. I mean, I'm sure he made you just bowl countless overs to him in the backyard growing up. Uh, what are you going to do? Fine leg to fine leg? No, I think he might just slide in the second slip when I'm at first, I think, just to really, um, you know, mark my territory. 
<laughs> Brilliant. Uh, now, you've had some captaincy experience before when you led the Aussie under-19 squad to World Cup glory, Mitch, back in 2010. What can you remember from that time? Yeah, it was obviously an amazing three weeks in, in New Zealand. Uh, we had an awesome group. Um, we, we played together quite a bit, that group, um, you know, in uh, other junior under you know, 17s and even 15s, some of the playing for Australia so we all knew each other um, very well and we, and we bonded like um, you know a team that had played together for five years so um, it was an awesome experience and um, yeah long time ago now but um, yeah it was, a, it was a great experience How did you go handling the likes of Hazelwood and Kane Richardson back then? Yeah well, I think uh, oh, they, were, they were easy <laughs> uh, I think Hoff uh, and it's pretty easy going teller and uh yeah, I think we, we certainly enjoyed ourselves on that trip, so um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, would you say that you're instrumental to their rise? I mean, they've taken a lot away from that leadership that you've instilled in them, and now they've gone on to higher honours. I'd like to tell, I'd like to think so, but I think um, someone like Josh Hazelwood was. Uh, I probably uh, my under under nineteen captaincy probably didn't lead him to be the best bowler in the world. So, um, yeah, as much as I'd like to joke around and say that that's the case, it uh, had absolutely nothing to do with it. <laughs> All right, um, you're out injured at the moment with a with a shoulder complaint, a bit of an issue there. Tell us where your injury is at right now. Yeah, my shoulder is uh, close. Um, I'm obviously back batting now, and and I played for Western Australia at the start of the season for for a while, just as a batsman until um, you know I get my my shoulder strong enough to be able to bowl and throw. Uh, but it's, it's going really well. I've thoroughly enjoyed a bit of time at home as much as, as hard as it's been to, to watch cricket um, I've had a chance to, to get away from the game a little bit and, and, and really refocus my goals and um, you know it's obviously going to be a huge summer not just for me but for Western Australia and Australia so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it now What have you done in the pre-season? Have you changed anything up from different years? I understand that you've, you've got a damaged wing so you're probably not lifting those uh, heavy weights that you normally do but have you changed much? I've uh, had the opportunity to think a lot, a lot about my game um, and the way I want to play and I think I've, I'm you know, hopefully going to be able to change my um, my thoughts about my batting and, and I've really worked hard on a few technical um, things that I want to sort of tighten up my game which will hopefully help me certainly in a longer format so um, I think you know when you get injured um, whilst it's bad and you never want to miss cricket it gives you an opportunity to work on those sorts of things so um, you know, I'm just looking forward to it I probably would have liked a bit more time to, to work on my game because I haven't had haven't probably hit as many balls as I would have liked but um, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to have to be enough and I'm just looking forward to getting into the start of the season So you're talking more about changing uh, that really aggressive mindset that you've got I mean everyone sort of sees Mitch Marsh as that, as that master blaster that guy can take a game away from uh, the opposition in a couple of overs are you looking to, to temper that a little bit or I mean what sort of changes are you looking at there without giving too many secrets away adding a, a really strong defence to my game um, is probably the one thing that I wanted to work on um, you know, I think whilst you always want to be attacking um, in the longer format you've got, you've got to be able to keep the good balls out and that's uh, clearly something that I haven't been able to do over the last sort of 12 months so um, I've really worked on that and I've just tightened up my defence well hopefully I've tightened up my defence um, and hopefully it'll hold me into bed In terms of uh, the all-rounders for Australia there's a couple floating about now but where do you reckon you are in that pecking order I mean you were in that test side back in India before injury ruled you out where do you see yourself amongst the other fellas Yeah I think it's pretty open right now to be honest um, we obviously know that there's three shield games for the first dashes test and um, you know realistically I'm probably going to be pushing it for that because I haven't even started bowling yet but in terms of um, I don't really like to compare myself to any other all-rounders 
at the end of the day, if, you, if you're scoring enough runs and, and taking wickets, then you're going to get looked at as the all-rounder. So that's the only that's the only thing that I can control. Yeah, so you reckon you might be pushing a little bit to get back to bowling for those Shield games? Yeah, look, at this, at this stage, uh, you know, those Shield games are probably five, oh, maybe six weeks away now. And, and um, realistically, you probably need about eight weeks of bowling when you start. So... Um, I'll certainly be pushing it, but that doesn't mean that I won't. Um, I'll do everything I can, and, and if I can get up and start and be bowling for that first shield game, then that would be absolutely ideal. Um, not only for me, but you know, most importantly for WA. That's right. And are you still harbouring those Ashes ambitions, despite having the uh, the injured shoulder? Yeah, look, it's, well, it's a, it's a big carrot that's dangling in front of everyone, and I'd be lying if I said it wasn't in the, uh, you know, the back of my mind um, you know, every day, but for me, you know, my biggest goal right now is to be the best leader I can for Western Australia. Um, you know, my only currency right now is runs and, and wickets, so that's all I'm focusing on. And I know that if I do that, then um, everything else will take care of itself. So, um, as I said, it's just going to be a huge focus on, on uh, winning games for WA. At any time in the winter, did you think about giving away the bowling and just focusing solely on the batting? Uh, no, I uh, no, I, I still see myself as an all-rounder and. I see it as a very vital role for, for Western Australia and Australia in the future. So, um, you know, I want to uh, give it a real good crack and then try and get the best out of myself. And you couldn't give away your membership in the fast bowling cartel, could you? I mean, that's that's the big carrot. I know the Ashes is there, but uh, you want to get back into that group. I know they're a very select bunch. And uh, Mitchell Stark, he is a, a ruthless leader. So you've got to try and do your best to get back in that group. Yeah, look, as much as they like to talk to me to Gaff and say that I'm in there, <laughs> we all know that I'm the glue of that. Uh, that fast bowlers unit and, and whilst in the media and, and on the uh, they, they come out and spray me um, you, if you saw them behind closed doors uh, maybe I should put a GoPro in my room you can see them come in and, and, and love me so um, you know, maybe I'll do that on my next tour I like it uh, big summer for WA Mitch uh, what are you liking most about the squad that the Whackers have assembled this year? Um, well look I think this squad has been building for a number of years now we've been together for about five years um, I think our young guys are really improving um, and I think that the core group that we've got have got enough experience now and to, to really go on and do something special so um, you know I, I genuinely have full belief that this is a squad that's going to be able to um, you know, bring the ship of Jill home but um, I also understand that that's just talk and um, you know we, just, we need to go out there and make sure we play as well as we can. How's the coach been, Justin Lang? Has he been focusing on anything different this pre-season? Uh, not so much anything different. I think um, that's what we've worked on in the last five years. Is um, well, the things we've worked on the five years, the last five years, is the stuff that we've implemented this pre-season. Um, we've been lucky enough with the Wacker and um, the Wacker staff to be able to train on turf a lot more this this winter. So hopefully they'll hold us in good stead. A lot of exciting players in the West, Mitch. Can you give us one or two players in that WA squad? With a little bit of that X factor. Yeah, it's always hard. This question's always hard when you have to sort of figure out a couple of players. I think um, we've got a couple of young guys that are, that are really exciting. I think uh, we've had a taste of Dry Richardson in the um, in the Big Bash over the last couple of years, and especially last year uh, in the final. Uh, all I can say about him is that he bowls genuinely fast, and he's got some pretty amazing skills that not many people would have seen just yet. So. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he comes on. We've got a young guy 
Cameron Green, who's going to be playing the non-Eagle Cup this year, and that's an awesome opportunity for him. But you know, I really do see him getting an opportunity for us at, at, uh, at some stage. I think it's really important from my own experiences that if you've got guys with, with young talent to, to give them a crack at the, at the highest level if they're ready and, and get as much game time into them as possible. So he's certainly someone that we'll see this year, and um, you know, hopefully he can start start off well. How do you go about watching uh, the boys over in Bangladesh? You're a good cricket watcher, Mitch. Were you tuned in every ball? Yeah, I was tuned in as much as I could in between training and stuff. Um, I'm certainly not a good watcher in the change room, so I'm, <laughs> I'm actually a nervous wreck. I think, um, but, you know, yeah, when, when you spend so much time with the guys on tour um, and you become, like, you know, brothers, like family, um, you just want to see them do well. So I'm, I'm not a great watcher even at home. So it was, it was nice to see them win that last test match. When you're away from the group, do you still stay in contact with them? Do you still get on the WhatsApp groups and message them? Yeah, I'll keep in touch with the boys. I FaceTime my boyfriend, Paddy Cummins, <laughs> a fair bit, probably once a week at least, and then we text every other day. So, um, yeah, Paddy's, Paddy's my best mate in cricket. And, um, yeah, you can say there's a bit of romance there, but so what? So what, that's right. And I'll tell you what, hasn't he come along well? Four tests in a row now. Unlucky not to play together in India. Uh, how good's he going? He's going to be a big player for the Aussies in the Ashes this summer, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's, you know, I just guide him through it. Um, you know, obviously, he just wants to bowl fast like me at times, and I get to tell him to, to rein it in a bit. But um, in all seriousness, he's a serious talent. He's going to be an, an awesome cricket. There's not much more you can say about him, really. He's just, um, he's already awesome. He's just going to get better and better with age. So, um, can't wait to, to watch him bowl for Australia for a long period of time. You guys played together for the Scorchers. You're going to be back with Perth again this summer. Uh, Mitch, Big Bash is always a great time of year. If you don't make those Ashes sides, you're going to be in the thick of it. Uh, excited about BBL 07? Yeah, I can't wait. Cannot wait to uh, play this year. It's going to be awesome fun. Um, and I think the Big Bash in general has just grown you know, year on year. So, um, you know, I can't wait and uh, hopefully it'll be a good year. It's going to be the last year at the Furnace. You want to send them out for style with another final out there, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, there's, yeah, it's going to be huge. We've got, we got an amazing crowd and, and we've, uh, we've played really well at home over the last couple of years, so um, it's going to be very exciting. And what do you put down the success to, Mitch? I mean, Perth are undoubtedly the, the number one franchise or club in, in the Big Bash League short history. Why are you guys so successful? Yeah, Jay always goes on about, we, we've got a great squad, we've got great camaraderie. Um, I, I think, to be brutally honest, that our bowling take over the last couple of years has been phenomenal. Mm. Um, we've defended totals, um, you know, Every pretty much every game that that uh, probably haven't done, had enough runs on the ball, but our bowlers um, defended uh, all the time, and um, I think they've been critical to us. So um, over the next couple of years, it's going to be really important if we can keep that group together. Mitch, appreciate your time, mate. Thanks again, uh, and good luck with the shoulder injury and uh, the start of the season. Thanks, Ben. Cheers, mate. Australia now they're in the subcontinent again. They're playing a limited overs series against India. They got five one days and three T twenties. Mal, uh, a couple of different squads. We won't go through them. If, if you want to have a look, uh, head to cricket.com.au. They're all there. Um, a couple of interesting storylines. Mal, let's start with the returners from fast bowlers. We've got James Faulkner, Nathan Coulton-Isle, and Kane Richardson. Uh, those guys weren't involved in the Champions Trophy, but they're back now through a few injuries to the Aussie quicks. Well, yes, and I think it's a good thing. Um, I think it's important to give the uh, the Aussie quicks a rest. It's interesting that Cummins is there. They've obviously felt that uh, 
They'll keep him ticking over. I couldn't imagine him playing too much on this tour, but uh, just continue to bowl and then go through the Shield series. Uh, Faulkner, it's interesting, isn't he? He was probably the most valuable one-day player in Australia not so long ago, yeah. the finisher. World Cup final, men of the match. That's right. That's right. So uh, it's interesting that uh, he missed out. Um, I think he was struggling with a bit of a knee injury, but he's, he's back um, and can be a very dangerous player. It'll be interesting to see how he's... Bowling holds up on the subcontinent. Um, he's played a fair bit of IPL, so he should have plenty of tricks up his sleeve. Coulter Nile, good to see him back. He's a real talent. Um, he's had his injury problems as well. Um, he probably would at some stage uh, might have been on the verge of uh, playing test cricket, uh, given that the injuries that uh, knock over various fast bowlers at various times. So if he can string things together, he'll sort of keep his name in the ring. And Kane Richardson, who's uh, a little bit of a blast from the past. He um, played some time ago and has sort of been given occasional opportunities. Uh, and um, again, I'm not sure how much he'll play over in India, but I kind of get a feeling that they'll rotate their bowlers around to... Uh, try and make sure that there's not too much overwork for Paddy Cummins in particular. Yeah, now before we get to those shield rounds, Maxwell and Cartwright are both in that one-day squad. Steve Smith said that international runs, regardless of the format count, they help. Uh, it certainly worked for George Bailey four years ago where he's got a mountain of runs and ended up playing all those five tests in the Ashes in that whitewash. Uh, he's actually got dropped up that. He's undefeated as a test match cricketer. Mal, uh, how much weight do, do these performances in this series have on possible selection in the Ashes for these players? Well, given it's such a tight call in that batting lineup, um, given they've got opportunities, there's nothing like runs. So if um, if either Cartwright or Maxwell does go out and uh, have a big series and smack a lot of runs, even it's going to get different bowlers, different conditions, at least your confidence is going to be high. Yep. You've been in the middle, you've been hitting the ball. If, if, um, you then, if either one of them then comes back and continues to play well on the shield, um, then it's, it all helps. But I would say that... Um, uh, while well, no one wants to fail, I would say that um, if you're going to cash in, cash in big time during the uh, the, the lead up in the Shield game, um, because those three Sheffield Shield matches I think will be vital, and uh, the selectors will be watching intently. Adam Zampa, he's our one-day leg spinner and last year leading wicket taker in one-day cricket. We haven't seen a lot of him lately. He doesn't uh, play a lot at home. They tend to go with the quicks and the all-rounder as a spinning option. But he's got a pretty good IPL record. Mal, will he make a bit of an impact for the Aussies over there? You would like to think so. Um, he's uh, doesn't, not a big turner of the ball, but he's certainly uh, got good control and good variation. He's got the, a nice sort of slider or flipper that comes hurries onto the batsman when they try to sort of whack him away, particularly off the back foot. Um, so he, he can be a dangerous player when players go after him. It's in the longer forms of the game where you can sit on him that he just doesn't have the... The wicket-taking deliveries, but I like his attitude. He's an aggressive, upbeat cricketer, and uh, I think he'll have a significant impact over in India. The T20 squad was also named. It's a bit of old and new. They've got Jason Berridoff, the uncapped Western Australian left armour, and then Dan Christian, who's been around for a long time, and he's in a very rich rich vein of form, in particular in winning trophies this year. He's uh, just coming off uh, the CPL victory. He's won the uh, T20 Cup in England, and he was an IPL finalist this year with... uh, the rising Pune super giant. Uh, bit of a older new there, Mal. Well, there is, and Berendorf deserves his chance and would have got one earlier if he hadn't had back injuries. He's been very impressive in the uh, in all forms of the game for Western Australia for some time now and uh, can be particularly dangerous in the, the short forms, being able to um, swing the ball as a left armour when batsmen are trying to get after him, particularly uh, early doors. He does bowl a terrific late in swinging Yorker and Dan Christian keeps on keeping on. Yeah, he's, you're right, he's... he's uh, 
picked on the back of success, on the back of he is a ready-made short-form player. He's, he can whack a ball. He's got good uh, bowling variation. And uh, I think uh, in India, it'll, the conditions will really help him because... Uh, his stock ball can tend to be the sort of the faster off break, uh, which will yep. probably hold up and get some purchase. So I think that um, he'll be uh, quite a useful addition. And just on the Indians, uh, they named their squad. They've got no Ravi Ashwin and Ravindra Jadeja Mal, the uh, tormentors in the Test Series earlier this year, but they're not included in this one-day squad for the first three games at least. Uh, would the Aussies be breathing a bit of a sigh of relief or different formats doesn't really worry them? I don't think it will worry them so much because um, I think the pitches will be better. I mean, yep. the, the pitches, obviously, in on the subcontinent when Australia goes over there are deliberately designed to sort of uh, to turn and they're up and down and they're difficult to bat on, whereas the, the one-day pitches are usually rolled out as beautiful batting pitches yeah. designed for the crowd and designed for television and uh, designed for batsmen to be able to hit through the ball with impunity. So I really don't think it would have mattered um, who they'd played. I think the conditions will be significantly different. I think the Australians will be more confident taking the bowling on, knowing it's a one-day game. Uh, and I think that um, they'll really take it up to India, given India haven't got those uh, those players. But uh, even so, I think uh, Australia does have a good one-day record in South Asia, uh, by and large. And I think that uh, it'll be a very interesting series. But, geez, India have a very powerful batting lineup When you look at Kohli, Rohit Sharma, Shikhar Dhawan... KL Rahul, who's been fantastic, and then you've got the veteran MS Dhoni coming in and slogging a few at the end. Very powerful batting lineup. Well, they have. I mean, they, it's very daunting, isn't it? That's where, when you play in these games, there's, it's interesting if you look at uh, the selection of uh, one-day teams now. It's very rare that you get that dibbly-dobbly fifth bowler who sort of slots in at six or seven. You mm. need genuine front-line bowlers to be able to get you through because... Uh, uh, the way that batsmen play these days, they'll take you to pieces. So uh, it's uh, our bowlers are going to have it cut out, but uh, their, their work cut out. But I, I have seen um, Australian fast bowlers unsettle um, Indian batsmen before, um, particularly early on in their innings in one-day cricket. So I'd expect we'll see a bit of that uh, this time round as well. All right, now we're going to finish off our preview of the limited over series with a game of play it or leave it, and I'll throw up some scenarios for you. You're going to tell me if you play it or leave it. Warner to score more runs than Virat Kohli in the series. Oh, gee whiz. I'm tempted. It's been tossed up, and I'm really tempted to have a go at this. Um, I think that uh, he's a chance. I think that uh, it'll be very interesting to see how Kohli reacts uh, psychologically. Mm. He uh, clearly um, (laughs) uh, felt the pressure when Australia played uh, India in the Test Series a little while ago to the point where some of his... um, his press conferences are bizarre. Some of his shots uh, in, in a series where he didn't make many runs. So um, if he goes the same way again and psychs himself out, Warner will certainly uh, have him covered. All right, so you playing it or leaving it? I'm playing it. Playing <laughs> it, all right. Uh, as you said, these are going to be pretty flat tracks over there. And if the last series over there in 2013 is in to go by, there's going to be a lot of runs. So the average first inning score, more than 325. I don't think it'll be quite that much. It's got to be over 300. 300's no longer a par score. So if it's not 325, it'll be close. I'll play it that tentatively. I'll run that down through the gully for one. Um, there's every chance that that could happen with on good wickets. And a couple of new venues in this series in both the one days and T20, so they'll want to make sure that uh, their maiden match is memorable. I dare say there'll be some pretty nice roads out there. I think that they would have been rolling them for weeks. <laughs> uh, all right. 
India electing to bat if Kohli wins the toss. Now, I say this because Kohli is a master chaser. He really is the finisher. Uh, and I don't think Australia want Kohli to bat second. So if uh, India bat, if India win the toss, are they going to uh, send the Aussies in every time? I would thought I would have thought so because MS Dhoni's in that lineup as well, and Dhoni is also exceptional uh, at chasing. And that, that's what he's one of the reasons why they are such a good one day side. That, um, as you say, their batting order is imposing. Uh, they can chase just about anything, and Dhoni as a finisher is impeccable. So, um, yep, I'd be very surprised if India won the toss and batted at any stage. Seam bowling, seam bowling to dominate spin in this series. There's every chance of that. Uh, on flat wickets, if the ball's not doing much, you'll want your seamers to try and bowl with uh, a bit of variation. Um, and Australia does have some, some quality fast bowlers uh, in their lineup. So um, I, that, I've seen that happen before in, on the subcontinent where the seamers have dominated, particularly early, uh, taking early wickets. And uh, wouldn't surprise me, particularly with India's big two missing, that uh, that happened again. So you're going to play that one as well? I'm playing at that one. How about this one? Two or more Australians to be sent home during the tour. Now, I'm not saying they're going to be suspended (laughs) for not doing their homework. More, they're going to be rested with an eye on the ashes. Probably Cummins and potentially one of the other senior batsmen. But uh, two or more Aussies to be sent home. Well, that wouldn't surprise me either. Um, I think if they set the series up, if they're going okay, or even if they're not going okay, I just tend to think that that's a sensible thing to do. I mean... What are people going to remember? A one-day series in India or an Ashes series in Australia when Australia's trying to win the Ashes back? There's only one priority there. So they're sending players home early uh, to give them a rest ahead of the Ashes, particularly after a a pretty gruelling couple of months in the subcontinent in Bangladesh and then India. Um, I would have thought that would have been a sensible thing to do. I remember back in 2013 when Mitch Johnson played only half the season, they did send him back to get ready for the Ashes. There was a bit of outcry that, you know, how can you take this guy away? I don't think George... Bailey at the time was upset that he lost his strike bowler, but no one remembers that series. They remember the 37 Ashes wickets he took that summer, don't they? Well, that's right, and that's what we're aiming at. I mean, everyone might have a have a view at the time. I don't think most people could care less about uh, really who came home from the one-day series in India, but uh, everyone's going to care about what happens in the Ashes. Finally, Australia win both series, one-day series and the T20 series, Mel. I'm not going to play at that one. I oh. just tend to think that India's batting is so good that they will probably get the Australians um, in the one-day series. They're every chance of getting the Australians in the one-day series. It's going to be a very tight series, that. Uh, I tend to think in the 2020s maybe that could be a bit more interesting. Um, uh, I think that uh, brings teams closer together. But, um, yeah, and I... I can't have a. I can't confidently predict Australia to win both series. Looking at that Indian lineup, and do you reckon there might be a little bit of spice there, Mal? It was very heated during that Test series. They're back at it again. It's Collie v Smith, the Aussies. Not as much on the line, but still, when these two foes go together, sparks generally fly. Oh, inevitably, yes, it will. This is going to mean a fair bit to the players involved, and particularly the. Uh, you'll see the Indian guys really spark up and uh, given that uh, James Faulkner's uh, back in the team for the first time in a while Jimmy doesn't mind a chat so wouldn't surprise me to see him in the middle of uh, of a few conversations out there Alright, that's it for today's episode Mel, thanks again for coming on board Who who have Richmond got next? 
Uh, Richmond play the preliminary final in a couple of weeks, so uh, we're just waiting to see uh, who the opponent's going to be. But uh, I've already booked the flights and booked the tickets. He's there. Thanks, Mal. Uh, we'll be back next week. But while you wait, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes. And if you've got Spotify, you can listen to it there. Until next time, head to cricket.com.au for all your news, scores, and video. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.